Hello and welcome to QVD Book Club, the podcast. My name is Victoria Carthew and I'm so pleased you could tune in today because I'm going to share another great crime story with you. We've had some awesome ones in 2023 and this is a debut for Darcy Tyndale called The Fall Between and we meet an outstanding female detective. Thanks to Penguin. Darcy, hello. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And is, it still, is it still exciting when you see like, that's my book someone's holding up? Yeah, absolutely. I remember when they first sent me the cover of it and I was just blown away because it so beautifully depicted the story, the feel and like just created the mood and the atmosphere right in that cover. And then when it came out, it's got that really beautiful glossy. Um, so I think I just sat there caressing it when I... <laughs> I understand that. I totally understand that. Now, I say debut, which makes it sound like you're new to the game, but you have been plying your trade and working in and around the business for a long time, haven't you? I have. I've, um, my background is um, writing plays and short stories. Um, so I write for the school magazine. I do the classroom plays, which is just such a good learning ground because I think when you write plays, you can't have talking heads on stage and your characters always have to be in action and move and, you know, um, you know, it's got to be a visual thing. And when I was writing this book, my editor turned around and said, it's just so visual. Everyone just moves through the scenes yes and it's, yes yeah so I think I think playwriting and acting has been such a wonderful background and I also think when you look at it like when actors perform you give lots of really beautiful clues to the audience and your mannerisms and your little idiosyncrasies and when I was writing it just little ways that they sip a beer or um get a nose stuck in a, a glass and everything <laughs> shows character development and it's those beautiful little um little tweaks in the the book these little vignettes of their personality that I really love and I think actually it's funny you say that because that it puts you there because you imagine yourself doing that or seeing someone do that so it actually puts the reader in that space as well doesn't it yeah I think it does and I, I did spend a lot of time really paying attention to what I was doing as I was writing it and, um, and one of my favorite things which actually happened um while I was in the middle of writing it my it was my just one of my girl pals got out of the seat and I jumped in her seat and I could feel the warmth in her on the back of my thighs and I went I have to, I have to put that in my book like so I had to have Giles sit in so a you were always on no matter what wherever you were you were very present in every moment of your life in case it made it into the book I was and I, I wonder if people like because sometimes I tuned out to what people were saying and I was just watching their mouths move and their eyebrows and just looking for little things and then so you know I don't know if people actually told me anything important the last 12 months but I, I don't know if I was listening. <laughs> a couple of marriages, a couple of births, no worries at all Darcy, Darcy's not listening. <laughs> You are. I feel like you're the poster girl for persistence, though, because you had so many stories when you came oh so close to making the book happen. You had a publisher go broke, you had books pulped, and you just kept persisting. Yeah, it was it was really quite a long journey. Um, 
Back in um, 2021, I uh, wrote a children, oh, it was a young adult novel, and I sat next to Jacqueline Harvey, and um, and we were both at the Children's Book Council Awards, and she won. And, and I've literally spent 20 years watching her go through. And then um, with the Ned Kelly Awards, um, I was shortlisted three times for the Sandra Harvey, but Emma Vizisky won. And I watched her skyrocket. And then I, one time I wrote a children's book and right at the time the publishers were in court about a cow and my picture book had a cow in it and they were like, whoa, we want to steer clear of cows. Can you go off and write us something else? And by the time I had five months to put together a children's series, the editor had left and the new editor wasn't taking anyone on and then I wrote another crime novel and they were like this is a movie this is a book and then the government withdrew funds from the film oh. industry and it fizzled out and everyone lost interest and but I the only reason why I kept going was Patricia Hindsmith said because a lot of my stuff is published in um, literary journals and anthologies and and I think that's it's just been such great practice writing short stories to really cement them. And um, so Patricia Hindsmith said, um, and she wrote The Talented Mr. Ripley. So she's she's like, she's the yeah. boss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she said for every nine she sent out, one was accepted. And I, as soon as I heard that. I went, I am not stopping. So every time I got a rejection, I thought, I've got eight more cracks at this. So I'm I'm just gonna keep going. And wow. And I think like I just feel like you'd be a great person to have on on your side as as a mate because that is honestly a great resilience, great persistence. But that kind of you obviously have a wonderful inner belief as well. And and obviously enough people around you telling you and, and letting you know you've actually got something. But for you to keep going is a wonderful because then you bring us. The awesome Rebecca Giles, because she is an amazing character. So maybe some of that toughness from you has gone into her. I, I think so. And I love that. Um, so when I finished um, the manuscript, I entered it into the Penguins Literary Awards. And I love that I didn't win, but I won. <laughs> so yes, yes, yes. So, so I put it in and I was just so thrilled to make the short list of six and, and it was just such confirmation because it was really at this point that I was like, am I, do I, should I, is, does someone need to tap me on the shoulder and go, look, this is great, but you, you've got to like draw a line. Yeah. And so I, I threw it in and when I made the top six, I felt like my cup was full and yeah. I was like, I really wrote something that publishers are like, this This is worth a read. But when they rang up uh, court and said, we'd like to offer you a contract, I, I was like, just the relief. <laughs> I was like, I did it. I just did it. <laughs> so. You did indeed. And and then, of course, it's quite the journey to get it from there, to get it on our, you know, on our on our bookshelves as well. Tell me about the story. Where did it come from? Had it, has, has this kind of rural, because what I quite loved is that it wasn't, we get a lot of small outback town type stories and big city crime stories. This is very much in between. You said in New South Wales, but, you know, Orange and around those areas, bigger places, bigger police stations. Where did the story come from? Was it always floating around for you? Yeah, I um 
I, my parents actually had a property in the upper Hunter Valley, um, just past Denman and they had pole Hereford cattle and, um, they had racehorses for a while and then got out of racehorses and just stuck with cattle. And so as a child, I have a very romantic view of country life because my father was a colonel in the army. We moved around a lot, but school holidays, we always went back to the farm. So I wasn't really a farm girl, but all the farm chores were just fun. Yes. So, riding the quad and collecting eggs and doing all of those things. And there was one time I jumped on the back of the tractor with my dad and we went out to a paddock and um, the tractor ride is fun, but the actual maintenance work is boring. So I went for a little walk along <laughs> the creek and I went up to the windmill and on the farm there was these grey currawong birds. And not that I was frightened of them, but I just... They weren't cute like the little wrens or pretty like the parrots, but I was always really wary of them and they just looked like they had a high status and, you know, just never really messed with them. And then one day I was bored and I walked up to um, the windmill. We used to have a square tank and it was the windmill with the trough. And when I got up there and I looked inside the windmill, because I used to play with the water beetles and if you tap yeah. them, sort of like swim. And I went to the um, cattle trough and a, and a carawong had was dead and it was floating in the trough and all its feathers were wet and you could see its body shape and it was just so fragile and delicate and sad. And all the oil from its feathers had this oil slick over the top and I, I wasn't... Um, like it didn't frighten me, but it sort of disturbed me. And it was an image that stuck with me because it was something that I thought was such a high status bird that in death and floating in this water, it was just so oh. delicate and sad. So when I started my crime novel, I went, I'm putting a body in there. <laughs> Take the bird out. I'm going to stick a girl in there. And, um, and that my my opening scene of um this body you know this fragile beautiful delicate you know body sitting in her little oil slick decaying away and you know waiting for someone to find her and I think that was with the bird because I was a child I was like oh it's not going to go back to its friends and its family and I, I that resonated so strongly with me and I thought this this is a nice start well, the other thing that you did do before we even find the body is you you give us this. I've, I loved the way you set the book up because you found yourself constantly trying to connect some dots. So you actually give us on that first day um, a chain of events that are set in motion and that lead to three deaths and a homicide investigation. But you you give us the, the it's all centered around jewelry, but you give us these three people in three moments, but we don't know who they are or where they are or what happens. And then we spend the whole book uncovering it. And I really... It was such an interesting way to start a novel because, and then you gave us a body because um, it really put you in a different headspace about you. You felt like you were trying to solve something as the detectives were solving. Yeah, I, I kind of liked that too. I, I saw it as um, a domino effect. I felt like I had these dominoes all lined up and I just, all the way through you get these little stories of as they keep moving through the story and um, but eventually they slowly start to cross each other's paths and that and then I love um, the last 50 pages where it's like I've tipped the dominoes and they're all yeah. just madly crashing into each other to this beautiful big um, grand finale so I I sort of um, saw that as as that kind of image of 
that like bringing it all together and that so that bit of that domino effect and I really I do really love like that following and weaving through the each other's past some some are accidental past and some are like little small moments that you think are really quite insignificant but the you know the flow-on effect of that insignificance is quite huge at the end and um and so it's one of those things where I always think make good choices be careful of your words watch what you do you have no idea of the ripple effect that you're creating um down the track absolutely so many little things in this book uh created big waves uh, later on as well. I, I mentioned that earlier about the size of the police station, I think was really interesting because it allowed you to have a lot of great characters who were all important in their own right, um, but and didn't get lost in it. So it was a it's a it's a it was like a great size police station of you know members of the force to deal with. Yeah, I I did I mean I think that was one of the reasons why I wanted rural country town, not a little country town. And around Musselbrook, you've got enough little towns um like Denman and but you've got Singleton as well, which is a larger town than um Musselbrook, but its police station's not mannered overnight. And so I found um at Musselbrook she had enough people lot, enough obstacles with her own team to to bounce across and you know in, like weave through and everything and I loved that we went up to as far as orange and moved around and and stuff like that so I, I do love her team that she works with and and she she holds her own amongst the men I think Oh, absolutely. So Rebecca Giles is our detective who is at the centre of all of this. And she's an interesting story because she's had that Sydney big city experience, um, but she's got those country roots. Her dad was a was a police officer and is still has a connection. So she's very much, she's got the cred, hasn't she? Uh, and she's tough, but she's not kind of that stereotypical thing. She's got she's got her own, she's got her own space. Yeah, and she's, and she's got her own little flaws as well. So I think um, coming from Sydney City from um, 10 years on the police force and having to come along and, and prove herself a little bit. And I like that she's brought down a couple of pegs. She wins some, she loses some, and but she's finding her footing and her placing. But and, and I also like those little private moments where you see her little weaknesses and, you know, she's great at putting the mask on and, you know, stepping forth and, you know, being the but when she pulls the mask off, you know, you've really got that human element tucked in underneath her. And, and I think that's where readers probably resonate with her, that they're not. And I think that's the police force as well. And I've been really lucky that um, I've been able to work, uh, talk to a couple of homicide detectives. They you know, they're not, they're not cheap to take out. So you've got to. <laughs> I love it. If you're a crime writer and you ask a cop out for dinner, take your money. And um, <laughs> but they like big steak and they like good red wine. So you know, it's it's get your research in. Make sure that you've got your list of questions because it's going to cost you. But I was out for dinner and um and they're not they're quite scary too. And um so they're very plain faced. And I found that um when I was talking them through my crime and I'd ask them a question, there was always this uncomfortable second of silence of them ticking over and looking at each other and then answering and um but there was a waiter walking around and and he worked out this was a table like the conversation was going down here and every you were talking about murder <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but every 
it was like every um, three or four minutes he'd come up and he'd fill our water up just so that he could lean right. around the table and listen to the conversation. And I almost wanted to pull out a chair and go, I know you have to sit down. This is gold. And um, <laughs> it was, I think I was really fortunate. And by talking to the homicide detectives, it, it really tidied up procedures and correct terminology and um and and also setting it in the country in Sydney one of the biggest problems of having a city crime novel is CCTV footage it's mm. in shopping centers it's um you know people have it outside their house we've got traffic cameras which makes every crime almost premeditated that you need to write to get away with it yes yeah, that's an interesting perspective, actually. Um, I I loved that Detective Giles has, she's trying to solve this crime. There's multiple things that she's got her hands in trying to work out. She's sort of the linchpin in between all of it. Um, but she's got her own stuff going on because, of course, her dad, um, there's a there's a backstory where we're trying to work out what happened in her family. Her dad, who was the, the boss of the, of the station for some time as well, still has a hand in because he's still connected and he's but he's in a home with MND I felt like you knew that very well you the way you we've had some experience with family friends as well and I felt like you knew that illness and you knew how to write it really well yeah and I wanted to be sensitive to it I didn't want to overwrite um the suffering and the and the crippling effect of the disease but I wanted the reader to see it and its effects but not just the, the effects of the disease itself but the effects of the disease how it has a strain on a relationship and so every time she's talking to her father it's simple things that he's trying he gets annoyed with her and his hand shakes and his you know his little um, glass of wine is going everywhere and he yells at her for making him waste good wine and you know and it's the disease just keeps cutting in so she returns home because one her, she's she knows she's going to lose her father and there's a little there's a her the history of her mother is a little bit unsolved for her so she it's one of those moments where she's got to decide, do I rip that wound open and just jump on in and like dredge up all the muck? Or do I just let that wound heal and be satisfied that I really don't know what happened with my mother and um, and but she she's she's a digger <laughs> oh and incredibly suspicious like there were so many times for her not just in relation to her father but in every you know scenario she gets carried away doesn't she because she's suspicious of everything yeah she's I think she's lost um in, in my second book and um you you sort of dig a little bit deeper of why she's a little untrusting and untrusting of men and and why she's she's a little bit um you know she's got a little bit of a libido and um but it's not the love factor it's it's the need she's got that little bit of touch of neediness and just um and while she comes across as really confident and you know articulate and sharp and intelligent and she's very by the books and professional um I think it's when that mask comes off she's got that little bit of insecurity and um that gentleness and softness that she's tucking deep inside her it's interesting though because she is suspicious or second guesses every scenario even when they don't need it as a reader it makes you do that as well because if she doesn't wonder it then you start to wonder it like you like so it's it's great because it it puts you it makes you wonder why you've written something a certain way or if you, and is she not giving it to us and so as a reader it keeps you kind of trying to guess all the way through 
Yeah, I, I think when I read a book on crime, I've also really liked, um, it's not just the who done it, but it's the why done it. And it's that psychology behind it of what turns people into a villain and, and different things like that. And I, I think I, the reason why I like this is because there's two villains in the story. One yeah. is beautiful and narcissistic and is that that perfect beautiful villain and the other villain is this bumbling fool of you know you know mishaps and you know and gets further and further buried and I love that moment where you just go stop you've got to stop now and just hand yourself in and it's that no I'll fix it no um and I'll keep going so I love that these two villains one you know is really cunning and calculated and the other one is just trying to survive through it absolutely we're talking to Darcy Tyndall about the fall between her debut and I think that's the interesting thing you do is you give us an insight into everyone's life and everyone's choices and some of them are hard luck stories but they still make ordinary choices and um so whether it's a young girl and, and her mum who are doing the right or the wrong thing or whether it's Sticky Pete who who you kind of at times feel sorry for and other times you just want to give him a shake you give us it's that real like fallibility and flaws of of every human character yeah I I it's all I think I like all the characters um for different reasons there was years ago I remember the Rocky Horror Picture Show the guy that wrote that he actually said that when he was writing the musical he um sat down and wanted to write a musical that he wanted to play every single role so as he created each role he because he was an actor and a performer himself he thought I'm gonna now write this role for me and then I'm going to write this role for me so when I sat down I sort of looked at all the characters and thought if I if I had to jump into that person's shoes I want to suffer more I want to you know I want to really be grilled and put through my paces so I kept looking at each character's journey and but I also wanted um I, I wanted that human connection and I think um, I have a background also in stand-up comedy and they um, one of the biggest things that I noticed when comedians got on stage, if you had your comedians that got up and told jokes and hilariously funny, but at the end of their, their set, you sort of forgot what it was about. And the comedians that got up and talked about, um, you know, story and because you knew when they were telling a story that they're a comic and you'll get a punchline at the end of it. But when they told story, there was this immediate connection with the comic. And at the bar, I noticed that the ones that told jokes, the audience would come up to the bar and go, oh, you're, you're funny. And then, but the ones that told story, they spoke to at the bar. And yes, they, yes, yes, yes. That makes so much sense. And that's because we all do want to get embedded in something somehow. And, and that's what you did with this is, is this person a hardened criminal or an unlucky loser? What is that? And you think more about the character and what else sits behind it rather than just a one flash in the pan. Yeah. And I also um, think that if you can make your audience laugh with you, then you can make your audience cry with you. So there's lots of little moments where I have um, tongue in cheek, little digs and jokes and like a bit of country humor and um, yeah. that out. Because I do want the audience um, to have that moment of laughter and, and joy reading it. But also, um, one moment you can flip it on its head, and one, one moment this page you're laughing and having a grin, and then two pages later you're sucking in your breath and going, oh no. 
I really um I really enjoyed some of the other the blokes in it, you know, the other detectives that she works alongside. They were a real mix, weren't they? And he gave us some insights into their lives and what they were doing as well. And they were just like they all again had their flaws, but they were just some good men in there. Yeah, and I do I I th- I liked the camaraderie of yes, the team. Absolutely. And I loved um one of the things um in talking to these homicide detectives is they actually um debunked a couple of myths because I think when I first started writing this book, I had these real macho, you know, angry homicide detectives. We've got to get to the bottom of it. And he's that's when they were saying to me that um everyone's the lead on a case, even though you're not the lead detective and you really need each other's back, and that they've really they don't um get angry at each other and um they understand so they're very supportive very sherry in the information that they receive very much of this strong partnership and so I had to go back because some of the my detectives when I first started writing it were a little like not nice and when I yeah, started writing, this <laughs> yeah so when I when I stripped that away and I actually made them a team, like a proper team, and they do get on each other's nerves and that, but there's no love lost amongst them. Um, I they they just popped to life and I thought, yeah, these are the guys that I want to write about. These I want to work with these characters. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And they they yeah, they had their own stories, but they all sort of contributed to to what was going on. I thought what was also wonderful, because you had those distances to travel, because you had these smaller towns, it slowed the pace, didn't it? So it enabled, although everything happens actually in pretty quick time, um, it did slow it down because there were drives and there were places to go. You weren't just ducking two streets away. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love the drive because it gives you that ability to give um, scenery. And then I, I did feel like um, some scenes went, there was so much information that you almost needed a little bit of a breather through it. But then when I got to um, probably the last 50 pages of the book, I just cracked it. And I, I remember um, I did a creative writing and literature um, course at uni and um, and it was quite interesting because the things that I learned were the things that I never would have believed that I learned. And one of the <laughs> subjects we did was horror. Not that I'm a horror writer, but they there was a study done where a university had a bunch of teenagers. They had female teenagers watching a horror movie and male teenagers watching a horror movie and the females were watching it for bonding experience like to grab on to each other to yes. To, yes and the guys were doing it for the macho I'm not afraid blah 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 and then they ran the experiment again but they took the remote control away so they couldn't pause it or put the movie on mute. They had, they were stuck having to watch it, and their anxiety levels went up, and their their rating factor of how scary the movie was tripled. And they were monitoring that, and they were having actual anxiety watching this because it was something they couldn't stop. So when I got to the last fifty pages of the book, I took the remote control away from the reader. And I just, I wanted the reader to be reading the book like they wanted to reach their hand in and hit the pause button. But the last 50 pages is like the next page, the next page, the next page. I'm not stopping. You're not getting a break. I'm going. So can I tell you, that was me because, and then it was one of those late at night and the kids were coming. I was like, go away. I just need to finish this. Stop. Because if you interrupt the flow, you know, and I can stop, stop, stop. So there you go. What you learned at university worked very well indeed. Yeah. And I do love that.
it all connect at the end and they all just completely crash into each other. And I really love, um, you know, you kind of get to the end and you get just a very short breather at the end and the book is finished. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to say that about a third of the way in, I was thinking, oh, hope I get to meet Detective Giles again. I just really liked her. I liked her a lot. And I am pleased to say we will meet her again, which is great news, hey? Uh, I'm I'm thrilled to be, to bring her back. It's been um, my I've had so much fun with my second one, and probably even more so because I know these characters and and the way that they interconnect. So it's just a, an absolute joy and pleasure to bring her to life again and let her live another day and crack another case. Uh, well, first of all, people need to get out and get themselves the first time. They need to come and meet Detective Giles uh, and grab the fall between off the shelves. Darcy, congratulations. Congratulations on your persistence, but more importantly, on putting a great book out there. And thank you so much for joining us today on Crime Club. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for your company today on QBD Book Club, the podcast. We'll chat again soon.